Hi, I'm Rich Rossell, and this is Licensed to Parent. Over the past few weeks, we've been listening to Trace Embry, the host of this program, tell the story of what prompted him to leave a lucrative career and start a ministry to troubled teens and their parents that became Shepherd's Hill Academy. This week, we're going to continue that story as Trace and his wife Beth faced a parenting paradox. How to build a ministry which included rebuilding an old house, how to work full-time and still have time to raise their own kids. Something had to change, and today we'll hear what did change on Licensed to Parent. Now, Trace, you and your wife were having quite a struggle here, and, and you did something, I understand, as a result of, of this latchkey conviction, if mm-hmm. you will, that a lot of people wouldn't want to do. Because let me make sure I'm understanding it right. You and Beth were both spending every you know ounce of energy, every waking moment, trying to get the uh, you know the the place built or rebuilt habitable try, habitable <laughs> well, there's that uh, you know trying to get the ministry started uh, mm-hmm. you know trying to take care of the kids they were they were in school at the time right mm-hmm. uh, a public school at the time right and you were trying to do all that so so basically you were both going through this aspect of we feel like we're neglecting the kids we feel like we're doing this and you did something very drastic that is almost unheard of in in today's society mm-hmm. You, in essence, gave up, what, half your income, maybe more. What, tell us about what happened And there. all of our insurance. I mean, it made no sense on paper. We knew that the kids needed a full-time mom. Right. Uh, we knew they needed to be out of the public school system. The public school system wasn't a fraction as difficult as it is today. But I, what I needed out of that was the faith to go ahead and give Beth the, the green light to quit her job. That was my prayer every night at that cross, <laughs> among other things. I would go out there and say, Lord, give me the faith to be able to go ahead and give a date and tell her to put in her two weeks' yeah. notice and let's get this thing done. And so the prayer was pretty, uh, it was a tall order, let's put it that way. Uh, we prayed for the faith to bring Beth home from work. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I need to make more money, obviously, with her not working. She had all the insurance. I had no insurance. I was a temporary at this factory I worked at. I needed to make more money. I needed to work more flexible hours so that I can get back and finish my schooling, which I didn't. You know, I, all my friends were graduating uh, mm-hmm. in the spring of 1995. And, you know, there were many months that if we didn't take back old farm implements that we pulled out of the ground, uh, we weren't eating. Yeah, yeah uh, t- touch on that. Now, you guys actually, because you were sort of renovating the land, you mm-hmm. found some old stuff that had been pushed underground, old farm tools and whatnot, and you dug these things up and sold them for cash yeah, well, there's to a, eat? there's a metal recycling plant about two miles from Shepherd's Hill. And uh, when things got really tight, uh, we would pull this metal out of the ground. Some of it was just sitting there, but yeah. usually where there was an old, you know, when, when you got 86 acres, there's different places where farmers would put their stuff. And then over the years, it just kind of eked into the ground. And we would find these places and dig this stuff up load it up in our pickup truck, have it melted down, and go uh, get ourselves a meal. That's literally, not virtually, but literally how things were back then. Mm. And so we prayed this tall order, and God answered that prayer almost overnight. I got laid off. This was right after your wife had quit her job. Right after, within the week. And uh, now we're both gainfully unemployed. (laughs) <laughs> okay, as I'm as I'm punching out, this man says, "Nice working with you." And I said, "Is someone getting fired here?" He says, "Well, you're a temporary, and they didn't tell you that we have no more money in our budget to keep you on." 
It's too bad, too, Trace, because, you know, we really need what you do here. I was a welder, a metal fabricator, designed some things for him. He says, if you had the tools at home, we could subcontract you this work and pay you three times what you're making here as a temp. And I looked at him and I said, are you serious about this? He says, well, sure, we, we really appreciate your work. I said, well, I tell you what, send me the work because I have the tools. And what I didn't have, I went and got and uh, I set up a, a quick little business, and overnight, I'm working outside my back door in a garage that had no doors or windows in it. I'm working flexible hours. My kids are now being homeschooled by my wife, and um, when one of my buddies from Tacoa Falls heard what I was doing, he gave me the money to take night classes. So that's the God we serve. <sighs> I don't know what else to say about that one. Uh, but so you, you thought you'd lost half your income, but instead you got back that much again. Yeah. And, 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 and the flexibility to do everything that God had set before you in the first place that you didn't even see a possible way to do. Absolutely. And because Beth didn't have to be in an eight to five job and because now I'm gainfully self-employed, we could go on and take on some of this other work that we were doing. We, right. we roofed houses like migrant workers in eight other states from New Hampshire to Chicago Virginia, Tennessee, and I take my kids and my wife, and because of the connections we had at the college, we're from some of these areas, they gave us the work, and we're taking Virginia money and Chicago money and New Hampshire money and bringing it back to Georgia where it went a little further, putting a window here, a door there. We did that for the next seven years, mm. and these seven years were a time where I feel like I was getting a, a doctorate degree in uh, theology and psychology and parenting. Uh, I, I soaked myself in Bible tapes and, and teaching, and uh, for, for seven years, it was kind of like going through a college course in and of itself. It was a time of preparation. For David, it was the sheep pens. For Jesus, it was the carpenter shop. You know, For Paul, it was maybe those years in Arabia. Moses, maybe it was 40 years in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. But it was a time of preparation, a time of testing that you had to wait on God. Uh, again, going back to Oswald Chambers, you cannot attain to a vision. You must live in the inspiration of the vision until the vision accomplishes itself. We could have got ahead of God, pushed in those doors, but we didn't do it. We, we waited on him. And thank God we did because good things were yeah. going to happen. I know for me too often that's the hardest thing is doing that waiting. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's where some of my biggest sin comes in. Uh, if I can confess for a moment, it's that I keep trying to pick up the God hat and put it back on me because God's not working fast enough. Mm-hmm. But it is in the waiting that uh, I think we're developed in our character to know that God is trustworthy. He never fails us. He never forsakes us. We just have to have the patience to wait on on his time instead of trying to do it in ours. And even in in those seven years, you know, we we were doing parenting classes and, and day camps and weekend camps and equine therapy and things like that. But I remember going out to that cross that we erected on Shepherd's Hill each night and saying, Lord, I know you didn't call me here for just this. And I knew there was something else that he was calling us to. Uh, and I said, Lord, you didn't call me to Martin, Georgia to change a little town of 300. I believe you called me to Martin, Georgia to use Martin, Georgia to help change this nation, maybe the world. I had no idea hmm. how God uh, was going to work, but I knew he had something bigger in mind. And I, I remember our pastor coming out to Shepherd's Hill when Shepherd's Hill was just you know nothing. And he, he looked around and he said, Trace, nothing's going to happen here until you seek support. For your vision. And I said, John, I cannot ask people to give money and support for my vision when I don't even know what the vision actually is. It was still blurry at that particular mm-hmm. point. I knew it had to do with youth. I knew what we were doing was all in preparation for that. I knew we were doing some ministry, but I knew it wasn't exactly what we were supposed to do. 
uh, a couple of years had gone by, and I, I remember going out to the cross again and, and saying, Lord, why won't you let me seek support? Because I think it is with youth, and I think it has to do with discipleship and this and that. And then I recalled the story of David and Aronal, and David uh, uh, sinned by doing what God told him not to do, which was count his fighting men. Hmm. And uh, the angel of the Lord said, okay, uh, you're going to have to present a burnt sacrifice for this sin. Go purchase Arnaud's threshing floor and present this burnt sacrifice. So David approaches Arnaud and says, I, I sinned, I have to do this. Arnaud says, you're the king, just take it. And David said this, and this is what stuck with me, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God that which cost me nothing. And so for seven years, we pumped in our blood, sweat, and tears, and every mm-hmm. extra dollar we had to get this thing going. I remember at that particular point, Beth told me she was pregnant with her fourth child. And um, the doctor said, your child's going to be a Down syndrome child. Well, that, that just crushed us. With all the work that we'd gone through for all those years mm-hmm. to burden my wife with that situation, and it just seemed, Lord, what are you doing with us here? And I remember approaching one of the board members of Shepherd's Hill, and when everyone else was saying, uh, in Jesus' name, that child's healed, or God doesn't work that way, uh, or we know that your child's fine, and trying to be encouraging, well-meaning people, mm. Jim, our board member, looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, Trace, I can't think of two better parents for a little Down syndrome child than you and Beth. And the truth of that statement, I mean, just, just the sincerity and the fact that he wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything, but he was just mm. telling me what he felt he heard from the Lord, just gave me all the, the confidence and, and encouragement in the world to buck up and deal with it, only to find out that little girl right now is 15 years old and she's as normal as you and me, you know? That was just a, an incredible blessing, and she has always been an incredible blessing, and then in 1999, I got blessed beyond anything I could imagine. I, I had some Methodist pastors and some Baptist pastors send me to Israel. I actually uh, was doing parenting classes, and there was a Methodist pastor who had a wayward child, and uh, he appreciated so much the things he learned through those classes that uh, he, he, he backed a trip for me to go to Israel. And I come back on a spiritual high, and um, the way God seems to work is when you're on a spiritual high, hang on, because the valley's coming, you know. And when I come back, I found out our Beth was pregnant with our fifth child, which was a total surprise. And we found out that Georgia Department of Transportation wanted to build a four-lane highway right to the middle of everything that we'd worked so hard for for seven years mm. to, to build. So that was a big punch in the gut. And um, we found out that there were problems with that pregnancy. My wife was 40 years old when, when she got pregnant with our son, Asa. But these problems were real. And... Uh, going back to what Jim told me uh, a couple of years prior, mm. really helped me prepare for what was coming. In uh, January of 2000, Beth's body was trying to reject Asa, and we took her to the emergency room. And uh, after staying an all-nighter all at the emergency room, uh, we came home, and uh, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, and the sun was just coming up, and here we noticed this white dove on our front porch. And I didn't think a whole lot of it. It was kind of interesting that it was just sitting there. We could walk right by it. It wouldn't move or anything like that. A day later, that dove was still there. Two days later, two weeks later, that dove would eat out of our dog's dish. We could pet the thing on the chest. 
It would fly from building to building, then come back there and just stand on the porch as if it was guarding our house. On January 27th, in a snowstorm, uh, we gave birth to Asa down in uh, Northwestern Hospital in, in Atlanta. And now, this was a premature delivery, I'm guessing? Not all that premature. Okay. It's just that the issues he dealt with didn't allow him to weigh uh, a whole lot. Uh, it was two pounds. And for the next two and a half months, we drove 200 miles round trip to be with him and to just touch him and kiss him and hug him and just everything that we thought it would take to keep him alive. And the doctor, you know, warned us, you know, don't get too excited about this because there's not a chance in Hades, a snowball chance in Hades that this kid's going to make it. They gave us the, uh, the counsel not to resuscitate. Resuscitation is a very painful ordeal. And, uh, you know, the next time we went back, here's this big DNR on his, on his isolate, you know, do not resuscitate, look kind of like a star of David. And I just remember, uh, the very day he came out of critical care, we came home that night, and the dove was gone. Now, I don't know what other significance that dove had other than just <laughs> God's little token, I got it handled. You know, that's the only thing I can come up with. But I do find that the timing of his stay was just interesting. Yeah. The Lord does reassure us that he is in control in many different ways, and he gives us peace when we need it the most. When we come back, we'll hear how the Embrys needed that peace as the life of their son Asa stood in the balance, and when someone they thought was on the same page with them wasn't. All that and more when Licensed to Parent continues. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Helpmytroubledteen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. This is Licensed to Parent with Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosel. 
And Trace, you finally brought your son Asa home, and everything was looking good. But then something happened. I was actually putting a roof on a house. Uh, it was November 19th of uh, 2000, and Beth calls me and says, come home, there's something wrong with Asa. I never noticed a thing, even after I got home. Uh, but she seemed to notice something that I didn't see. A mother's intuition. Mother's intuition. We took him to a local hospital where the doctors noticed something right away. Had him airlifted to Greenville, South Carolina. Well, when the helicopter pilot came in for me to sign the right all the papers, he had asked me about resuscitation, and I pretty much violated the covenant that Beth and I had made with God. And I said, "If something happens in the air, put him on the machine." And sure enough, when we got to Greenville, he was on the machine. And so now we have a real difficult decision to make, and um, and having to take him off, we had counsel from the chaplains at the hospital and, uh, of course, a lot of the doctors. But we knew what we had to do. And, you know, when, when kids come to Shepherd's Hill, very often parents will say, sending my kid away for a year is like a death. And I really believe that the Lord allowed us to kind of go through this so that we could empathize to a degree what they were going through in, in making such a difficult decision because we were about to make one here. We, we finally made the decision to... Uh, have him taken off the uh, respirator. And for the next four and a half hours, it was just a very, very difficult time. But we we rocked him. We sang to him. We, we, we praised God. We, we, we thanked him for the time he was with us. We would watch the monitors go up in this kind of demonic sick attempt to lead us to believe there might be some hope and then watch the monitors go down and then up and then further down and then up and then further down. And finally... Uh, he went still, and the, the, all the monitors went flat. And the first words out of our mouth was the, the things that we learned uh, from the beginning, which was to praise God and to thank Him. And we praised God for the the years we had, and we thanked Him for the lessons that, that we learned in in the ten and a half months that He was with us. Um, and that whole ordeal really was the driving force to what opened my eyes to what God had finally called us. To do at Shepherd's Hill, we and the interesting thing was we took the seventy-mile ride home to Martin, Georgia, from Greenville, South Carolina, in a snowstorm. And I know some of these things may may not mean anything to the listeners necessarily, but you know, a snowstorm on November nineteenth in South Carolina and Georgia, very it, rare. It's, yeah, it's very yeah. rare. And he was born in a snowstorm, which snow down this way isn't all that common anyway. But we knew something special was going to result from this, and uh, so we came home probably three or four o'clock in the morning and we just let our kids sleep and we were going to tell them when they woke up what took place. But uh, I do see it as God preparing Beth and me for the painful ordeal that a lot of parents go through when they bring a child to a place like Shepherd's Hill. We buried Asa on the hill at the foot of the cross at Shepherd's Hill. Uh, We couldn't afford to bury him. And so that's where he is to this very day. God was getting my attention. I think I knew what he was trying to tell us. And uh, the Lord then spoke again and, and said, move out of your house. So the house that took seven years to rehab, so to speak, now the Lord says, move out of it. And I couldn't figure out what he was getting at, but uh, we refinanced the farm. Real estate prices had went way up at that particular time, and uh, we were able to purchase a double wide. We stuck it out on Shepherd's Hill, not because Ace is out there, but because it happens to have the best view on the property. But that house sat empty for two months. And people were trying to rent it and asking me what I'm going to do with it and why we moved out. And I'm trying to explain to them that I didn't even know. But I knew 
that we were coming into a new season and that um, Ace's life and Ace's death was going to be the the jump start into that new season. And I remember uh, things were very difficult. We were kind of mourning, still mourning the loss of Eamon, mourning the loss of the 14 acres that the DOT stole down the center of our property. Uh, I had no work at the time. And I remember going in that empty house, and I remember crying out to the Lord. I said, Lord, what are you doing with me? I don't understand this. You know, we just now getting the house finished, and you tell me to move out of it. And the Lord spoke very clear to me. He said, because uh, uh, I almost took an, uh, an $8 an hour job roofing houses, uh, and the Lord said, don't you do that. You get in the woods. You just spend some time with me. Right when you think you should, you should be going right, the Lord will send you left or vice versa. And the far payment was, farm payment was coming due and the whole nine yards. And I walked in an empty house and I cried out to the Lord and he sent me back to the mobile home where our kids were at. And I gathered my kids up and I gathered my wife at the dinner table. We weren't eating dinner, but I, I sat him down and I said, I want you to remember this time and this date. And, and I can kind of one hand how many times I feel like the Lord really spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but just something that was so overwhelming that you couldn't mm-hmm. keep from sharing it. And I said to the kids and to my wife, I said, if you'll remind me, remind dad to praise God and to thank him for all that we're going through, that within a few days, a week, no longer than a month, this ministry is going to finally arrive to where God has called us to be. And we as a family aren't going to have to worry every month about how we're going to make ends meet. I had no idea what was going on. And in, you could talk to my, any one of my kids today, and they'll remember, they'll can tell you the exact time and date and everything that went down. Many of which work here at Shepherd's Hill, by yeah. the way. So <laughs> that, I mean, I say that's a testimony to the fact that not only did you and your wife commit to it, but the family remembered. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And uh, a week and a half later, I get a phone call from a school in Atlanta. And the headmaster there said, uh, I heard what you're doing up there with uh, youth and we heard you're having a lot of success with kids coming there and leaving. And Would you ever consider having kids live there, troubled teenagers? And I said, you're the call I've been waiting for. And he came up, and he toured the place, and he said, how much is your farm payment? And I told him, and he said, uh, I'll make your farm payment for you. I'll pay Beth this salary for doing this, that, and the other. I'll pay you this salary for doing this, that, and the other. And that's really the beginning of Shepherd's Hill. Now, the first batch of boys that came, the, the second boy that walked through the door, his name was Asa. It wasn't Bill or George or Frank. It was Asa. That house that sat empty for our first group of kids that came to Shepherd's Hill back in the day was, it became a schoolhouse, an office, a residence, a shower house, cafeteria. A year later, we realized that we were unequally yoked with this man, uh, but God still used him. So the lesson there was there are seasons in our life uh, that sometimes God uses even maybe the unholy to advance his kingdom. And uh, this man wanted to send one of our students home because the parents weren't paying the tuition. And she had three weeks to go before she graduated. And I said, I can't do that. And he says, you will do that, or we'll have a truck come up there and take all the stuff back to Atlanta. 
Uh, long story short, <laughs> I let him come up here and take his school supplies and you know his school accreditation and his 501c3 status. And uh, I'm back to roofing houses again. There, there went our farm payment. There went our um, school accreditation. Were you able to finish out the year? I uh, know, but there were some parents who kind of knew the big picture, and they kept their kids with us. And the state allowed us to go into application form for our our own 501c3 status, our own school accreditation. And the long and short of it is we had staff members here that worked for months for nothing and others mm. for half price while I roofed houses and brought that money back. Right. Never sending Beth back into the workforce, but trusting that God would take care of it. And God bridged that gap. And it was like the fishes in the load. I can't really tell you how it happened, but it did. And, you know, I remember going to the cross and saying, Lord, you know, I don't know how you're going to answer this, but I really feel that this is something bigger than just Martin, Georgia. And I find it interesting that we have kids from California to New York and eight other countries that have come here to stay with us for a year and then leave here to become change agents to their cultures, to their spheres of influence. I couldn't have dreamed that up, Rich, in a million years. That's God's divine providence. And I was just a pawn in that. And the only reason it worked out that way is because I was just stupid enough to believe God. And that's really the story of Shepherd's Hill. And it wasn't until probably six years into the residential program of Shepherd's Hill that we had another tap on the shoulder. And that one was, you need to take outside the gate what you know to be transforming kids inside the gate. And that was the birth of the License to Parent broadcast, because as the listeners can probably tell, I'm not much of a radio guy, all right? But we know that what we're doing, doing things God's way, nothing new. In fact, it's very old. It's just been forgotten and misused and misunderstood and misrepresented and abused in some cases. And changing the lives of kids. And we know that our nation is in a uh, position right now where just having transformed kids leave here isn't enough. We need kids that are that are in a position to leave here and be used of God themselves to transform our culture. And that's what Shepherd Hill is all about. That's what the Licensed Parent Broadcast is all about. And what I'm trying to do through this program is to legitimize who we are as a program so that the listener says, you know what, maybe that'll work with my kids. You know, maybe if I trust God, maybe if I obey God and submit to his way instead of Oprah or instead of Dr. So-and-so or whatever, maybe these things will happen in my sphere of influence as well. And that's, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, that is absolutely what Licensed to Parent is about, is taking what's inside the gate and moving it out. You know, you said that there are folks who've come here and then they become change agents in their own cultures, their own communities. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like there's a franchise that's building out of this, uh, and there are little Shepherd's Hills being <laughs> being planted elsewhere. And a lot of people would say, ooh, I need to, I need to market that. I need to do whatever. Yeah. But you're not placing a claim on that. You're, you're letting God use you to disciple others and then allowing them to disciple yet others. Sure. And and it's the case with all of us. What we've learned, it's it's our responsibility to pass on right. that which we've learned and that we've grown from to other people. Sure. And the, the handbook's already been written in scripture. Yeah. And uh, you know, we we've been all over the country visiting other residential programs, quote-unquote Christian programs, and seeing the compromise that goes on and seeing the result of that compromise. And, you know, I just want people to know that there's no compromise here. This is uh, done God's way. This is God's thing. I mean, I think there's a reason why we have some good minds like Robbie Zacharias and, and Ken Ham and, and Talia Intervision and, and some of these others 
that have decided to put their stamp of approval on what we're doing here. Right. Well, Shepherd's Hill Academy is unique in its ministry, and, and hopefully you're beginning to get a better idea of what we're all about here. We're not just about dealing with troubled teens. Our heart is to equip parents with the tools necessary to produce families that accept and live out a biblical worldview for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission, because that benefits teens, families, and society. And we hope that you'll join us on that journey every week right here. Next week, the conclusion of Trace's story, and it promises to be as riveting and challenging as what you've heard so far. By the way, this entire testimony series is available for download at LicensedToParent.org. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time and once again renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.